Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm Presents Gods and Lies, Season 2, Episode 5. Leona the War Nymph dragged me back to the central ballroom in the Temple of Revels, where the party was still in full swing. Andy knows what he's doing, I told myself. I didn't like leaving him with that imposing, stone-faced god, but Leona wasn't giving me much of a choice. Finally managing to wrest myself from her grip, I said, I thought you were on our side. I serve the Sea Mother. Besides, I thought you were supposed to help Andy. I am helping, I countered. You think I'm here for fun? The stern nymph looked around, taking in the dancers, the spilled drinks, the flashing lights, the peacocks. Her face rippled in confusion. Yes? Whoever poisoned Argamnos used the same substance that's being passed around here in these forget-me-lots pills. If we can find out who was dealing it, who was making it, and who was supplying it, we could clear Andy's name. The nymph thawed. Slightly. And you think that's achievable in the time you have left? It has to be. Leona opened her mouth to answer, but the pinging of her enchanted oyster interrupted her. I'm being summoned. If you find a way in which I can assist, if the Sea Mother will permit it, Andy knows how to contact me. Before I could thank her or question her further, the nymph abruptly melted into a gleaming silver puddle that snaked its way out of the ballroom at an impossible speed, leaving me to navigate a goddess-tier party all by myself. Great. A peacock-driven chariot whizzed by, and I snatched a glass of something bubbling and pink and took a careful sip. It was all I could do to keep from coughing. It felt like the bubbles shot straight to the top of my head. I returned the glass to a peacock fluttering in another direction and let the alcohol smooth down some of my jitters. I couldn't let myself panic. I'd been in worse situations than this. Actual, life-threatening situations. This was just embarrassing. I tried to dance my way through the crowd. Everyone was masked. Everyone was drinking. The music seemed to come from nowhere and everywhere at once. Another peacock flew by. Were there more of them? Or were they just getting harder to dodge? Had I angered some peacock god by accident? 
and were people looking at me? Every time I turned around, I spotted people quickly glancing away as if I'd caught them staring. After spinning in a graceless pirouette trying to get out of the way of yet another determined bird, I came face to face with a familiar satyr trying to dance without spilling the enormous frozen margarita clenched in one hairy fist. Garrick? I said. That little shit. I'd had him dead to rights back in that interrogation room. Startled, Garrick dropped his drink. It shattered against the dance floor, earning him a few angry peacock squawks. What in the hell's... This is harassment. I'll... I'll sue. He turned away and into the crowd, vanishing almost instantly amid the churn of dancing bodies. I tried to follow, but someone stepped into my path. A dryad, one of the rarer males wearing an open suit jacket that showed off the trail of flowers blooming across his chest. Mind if I have this dance? Oh, please, you are so not her type. A statuesque antler demigoddess slid up next to me. She flashed me a brilliant smile. I can tell. Ease up, you're crowding her. A third opponent, who appeared to be an ordinary, if underdressed, human man, jumped in on my other side. I think she's had enough of your tricks. Catching Garrick would have to wait for another day. I remembered what that cloud goddess had said when Andy had shown her his stash of forget-me-lots. No one's been able to find these pills for months. Word traveled fast during a rave. How did that work into Argamnos's poisoning? If our theory was correct and Argamnos had been poisoned to keep him from snitching on the Oblem dealers, why take the pills off the market? It was clear from the reaction to Andy's stash and my sudden popularity as a dance partner that forget-me-lots were still very much in demand, despite being off the market for more than half a year. Maybe I can use this to my advantage. I pasted what I hoped was a seductive smile on my face. No need to fight. There's enough of me to go around. Really? How much do you have on you? The human demanded. Could you be more transparent? The dryad asked. Phyllis tried some and forgot how she preferred her gin and tonic. They're the real deal. Before the three started fighting in earnest, I cut in. I may have some extras, but I'm not going to just give them away for free. So what will it take? The human asked. Information. I turned away and reached into my bra to take out one of the baggies I'd secreted there. I held out three purple capsules in my palm. Let's start with where you used to get your forget-me-lots from. The three named around half a dozen players, some I'd heard of, one person I'd previously booked on a different drug charge, and a few new names. However, all three repeated what Phyllith had said. Between one day and the next, their sources had abruptly forgotten the existence of the drug and where to get more. So that was a dead end. I gave them the three capsules and held out three more. Where did you meet your dealers? This time, the answer was unanimous. Right here at the Temple of Revels. Every time? I asked. The demigoddess nodded. I mean, I still go to my guy for Zepp and Dream Dust at his regular spot south of Greastown, but whenever I needed forget-me-lots from him, I had to meet him here. 
Now that was interesting. That could mean whoever was making the drug was associated with the temple. It made sense. Keeping the business close to home was the best way to keep an eye on it, especially since it involved such risky and illegal materials as the waters of Oblem. At least until the risk of exposure started to outweigh the reward. Did that mean Celebina was somehow involved? She was notorious for her laissez-faire attitude regarding illegal substances distributed at her parties. Had she started making them herself? She wouldn't be the first. Delanthos had operated a drug lab out of the Sun Temple for years. Finding that out and exposing it was what had eventually led me to join Themia's service. My stomach nodded. Part of me had hoped that a god wasn't involved this time. I'd succeeded at having Tillamon's crimes brought to justice, but it had been a near thing. I might need more than luck to take down the goddess of revels. I questioned the three partiers a bit more, but didn't get much information. It wasn't that they didn't want to share. They were so desperate to get their hands on the last of the forget-me-lots, they probably would have sold out their own grandmothers. It was fascinating, watching three different types of people compete for the same thing but for different reasons. Mortals wanted the drug to erase their mistakes. Immortals wanted them so they could keep making the same mistakes again and again. After paying them off with more pills, I watched two of the three partiers weave their way back through the dancing crowd. However, the humans sidled up to me, swaying to the ever-present beat. I know those aren't all the pills you have, he said. I wasn't sure I liked his tone, although he was right. But Andy and I had a limited supply of these things, and for now, they were our only bargaining chip. But you already gave me all the information you have, I said, turning away. So I don't think we have anything more to say to each other. He seized my arm. Operating on pure instinct, I twisted in his grip, pinned his arm behind his back, and flipped him onto the floor, nearly upsetting a nearby peacock and its chariot of empty shot glasses. That was a bad idea, I said. Let's make a deal, he wheezed. Unbelievable. What if I knew where the forget-me-lots were made? What if I could show you right here in this temple? That would have to be worth more pills, right? I pulled him to his feet before we called more attention to ourselves. Wow, you really want to forget, don't you? I've done some things I'm not proud of. I'm shocked. Fine, show me. I pushed him in front of me, and together we marched out of the ballroom. I like a story that will take me to extremes. And nothing says extreme quite like The Last City, a new Wondery podcast available now. Set in 2072, the city of Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image, which, given its promise of being a miraculous green haven in a climate-ravaged world, shouldn't be too hard to sell, but things are not always as perfect and shiny as we'd like to believe. When she stumbles upon a dark secret that could lead to the downfall of Pura's existence if revealed, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. 
From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I wasn't surprised to find a lab at the Temple of Revels. I was surprised that I recognized it. I'd seen it in passing earlier that day when Andy and I had been hauling that ridiculous cake. I hadn't thought it suspicious at the time, and to be honest, I was having a hard time finding it suspicious now. It looked like a standard chemistry lab one might find at a well-funded private high school. Burners and tubing and glassware lined the walls. Celebina could be using them to purify oblem, or she could be making baking soda volcanoes. I followed my dealer once after I bought some forget-me-lots off him at one of Celebina's parties, the man said. By this point, he sounded like he was babbling, the last shreds of his self-control unraveling at the prospect of getting more of the drug. He led me here. He got pretty mad when he caught me, threatened to cut me off. I told him for an extra little pill I'd forget the whole thing. He thought that was all I wanted. But I remembered And did you see evidence the drug was being made here? I asked. Not that this guy was a super reliable witness. Not exactly. But it's a lab, isn't it? They gotta make it somewhere. I spotted some dirty beakers in the industrial-sized sink, lined with a crust of dry, glittery pink residue. Dream dust, maybe? This proves nothing. I couldn't have said it better myself. A moment ago, the lab had been empty. Now a goddess filled it. The glass beakers rattled and clinked. The man tumbled to the floor with a groan. As Elbada glanced down at me, her eyes hidden behind her gold-rimmed sunglasses, pain vibrated through my skull like the sound of a gong. Nausea tugged at my suddenly dry throat. Tears pricked at my eyes suddenly too sensitive to the light in the room. It wasn't a good idea to piss off the goddess of hangovers. Is this how you repay my mother's generosity? She invites you to engage in sacred celebration with her, and you paw through her things? Elbada asked. She didn't sound particularly angry, 
Instead, she sounded a bit like a scientist making a theoretical scientific query. Is this her drug lab or yours? I managed to ask before I succumbed to retching. You've mistaken me for my mother, Elbada said. She's the one who finds mortal defiance adorable. She clenched her right hand and a wave of vertigo sent me to my knees. I just need to find out who attacked Argamnos. I had to force the words past my spasming throat. How small your world is. Argamnos was the foremost of the Pantheon's messengers. Do you know what that means? He served everyone. He was permitted everywhere. He could span the earth in the time it would take to say his name. And yet you set your sad human fixation here? Elbada waved her hand and my headache ebbed. Two regret priests stood in the doorway. One of them was Father Liam. We've got a contamination problem in the hot tub room, Father Liam said. Elbada sighed. And the three mothers forbid Celebina supervise her own party. I'll see to it. Escort the Justics back to the ballroom. Let her enjoy the rest of the party. While it lasts, she's henceforth banished from the Temple of Revels. She glanced down at the man, whose name I had never asked for, who huddled on the floor in a fetal ball. He's caused us trouble before. Kick him out. Elbada vanished and Father Liam seized my arm. I'm just trying to get justice for our gamnos, I snapped. Father Liam's brows knitted. If I didn't know better, I'd have said he looked concerned. If justice is what you're after, you should pay closer attention to that demigod you've shackled your fate to. Why don't you ask him about what happened with our gamnos? What does that mean? Neither Father Liam nor his fellow priest answered as they dragged me back into the ballroom, the ceaselessly churning music roiling all around us. There's just one more thing, Father Liam said. We'll be having the last of your forget-me-lots. I don't have any left, I lied. Then you won't mind if my partner searches you, Father Liam replied. As if I had summoned him from a ritual, Andy appeared out of the crowd. His clothing and hair, while now glitter-dusted, still looked immaculate. He smiled. The party lights reflected brightly off his teeth and scales and shimmied toward us on the dance floor. Mind if I cut in? Father Liam frowned. We were in the middle of cool, thanks. I'll take it from here. Grabbing my hand, he pulled me behind him and we disappeared into the crowd. We dodged peacocks, over-enthusiastic elbows, and plates of canapes. Just when I thought we would escape the dance floor entirely, Andy took hold of my wrist and flung me out. Shocked, I spun a few times, clumsily, before Andy reeled me back in. My back bumped up against his chest. Whoa! What are you doing? We're dancing, he said, his mouth inches from my ear. Blending in. So try and act natural. People are watching. I figured that out. Thanks. I stumbled and almost rolled my ankle, but Andy caught me in the nick of time and turned me back to face him. You okay? They hurt you? He asked. 
He rocked from side to side with the rhythmic grace of an ocean wave, waiting for me to take the lead. I tried to follow along, but my movements felt jerky and awkward, like a ship still tied to a pier. I got let off with a warning. I don't think we're going to find out much else here. Good. Then we can just dance. He snapped his fingers and twisted around in an effortless pirouette. He looked ridiculous. He looked wonderful. Andy! I didn't check my watch, but I knew it was late. Past midnight at least. Two sunrises left. Give us a minute, he said. Three minutes. After six months apart, can't we at least have three minutes to dance? My stomach clenched with something more than longing. What do I do if I can't dance? You can't dance? I've never been very graceful to begin with, so I never really did it all that often, and it's not like I've had a lot of opportunities. I ran out of excuses and just resorted to glaring instead. I don't know how, okay? Andy actually scoffed. Not graceful? I've seen you fight. That doesn't have anything to do with dancing. Now that's where you're wrong. Dancing is just like fighting, only you don't have to kill someone. Think of it like trying to fight someone, only you'll lose if you actually land a blow. Like this. Andy stepped back to give himself some space and started moving his arms in quick, jabbing motions like a boxer, dodging and weaving to the beat. Just get your body moving and let the rhythm take over. I rolled my eyes, but for about 30 seconds, I jabbed and fainted. As the beat vibrated all around us, my hips started to sway of their own accord. Andy moved as I moved, stepping forward whenever I retreated, retreating himself when I pressed the point. Like we were sparring, but not sparring. I let out a breathless, disbelieving laugh. I grabbed his hands and launched into a spin, the rainbow lights streaking around us. Somehow, by the end of the song, he was wrapped around me and I was wrapped around him. His chest was warm beneath my cheek and damp from exertion. The rough edges of his scales rasped slightly against my skin. This single moment stretched around us, soft, supple, and elastic before we snapped back to reality. Two sunrises left. Reluctantly, I pulled away. We should probably go. Andy nodded. As he turned to leave, I remembered Father Liam's parting shot. If justice is what you're after, you should pay closer attention to that demigod you've shackled your fate to. Why don't you ask him about what happened with our Gamnos? Iris was quiet during the cab ride back. You okay? I asked, as we climbed the stairs to her apartment. Just tired, she said. I gave her a sideways glance. Iris looked normal, but she seemed removed somehow. Care to share with the class? She narrowed her eyes. She'd changed out of her party dress and into soft, fleece pajamas, and she was staring at her cup of instant decaf as if hoping to derive answers from it. You first. Obediently, I told her about Banrux, 
about how he'd been researching stolen oblum himself for the better part of the year with no success. When I got to the part about being made a scapegoat to keep our Gamnos's mother from spoiling Banrox's investigation, Iris finally perked up, but not for the reason I expected. So he did investigate you after our Gamnos was poisoned? Yeah, he couldn't figure out where I was when it happened, but he couldn't find any evidence to tie me to anything. Not that it stopped him from letting the Pantheon put me away. I still couldn't keep the bitterness out of my voice. Can you believe that? I was set up, all because one sylph had a grudge. So where were you? Iris asked quietly. At the Golden Gala, when our Gamnos disappeared. How would I know? We went over this already. What were you two fighting about before he left the party? I put down my own coffee mug. Iris stood with both hands on the kitchen counter and was staring directly at me as if I was a suspect sassing her from across an interrogation table. I already told you I don't remember. In case you haven't noticed, there's a lot of that going around lately. It's not the same at all. I'd know if... If I'd taken forget-me-lots, my blood turned to ice water. I thought about the dealers, who swallowed their own pills at the end of the night to keep from ratting each other out. From the very beginning, I'd told Iris in front of her blessed oak that I hadn't poisoned Argamnos. Her oak hadn't reacted. Because I was telling the truth? Or because I'd forgotten it? Am I a suspect now? I asked dully. Just take me through what you remember about that night. So, I started. My voice shook. I remember climbing through the first floor window because I didn't have an invitation. I remember making a nymph laugh so hard that glitter came out her nose. I won a dance contest against a dryad, and after that, it's all a blank. I don't remember. Take one to forget an evening, two to forget my name. A shudder gripped me. I felt sick. What if I really am guilty and I dragged Iris into this for nothing? Can you guess what you might have said to Argamnos? Iris said. I laughed bleakly. <laughs> you mean, might I have threatened him? Sure, I've done it often enough. He was a shithead. I hated him. I've always hated him. Iris didn't say anything. I took a deep breath, let it out slowly. He took me away from my family, Iris. Iris opened her mouth, but closed it without saying anything. Nevertheless, the silence around us seemed to soften. I didn't figure out I was a demigod until I was twelve. It happens sometimes. One day I was normal, and the next, I jumped into the ocean and discovered I had a tail. The day after that, our gamnos showed up in my gran's backyard. I remember we were eating breakfast outside, my gran and me. If I closed my eyes, I could still smell her fried potato cakes. All of a sudden, there was a god in our garden. He was beautiful. He was terrifying. I remember his hair was wet, dripping with some sort of oil that made the flowers burst into showers of sparks. I found out later it was lightning oil. He only wore it on special errands when he needed to be especially swift, like this one. I was babbling, but Iris didn't seem to mind. She continued to watch me attentively, listening to every word. He said that my mother wanted me, and that I had to come with him, didn't get to pack a bag, didn't get to say goodbye. 
couldn't even leave a note for when my dad's cruise ship came in. The next thing I knew, I was under the sea in my mother's court. Just like that? Why? Apparently, mother had plans for me. Big plans. I didn't care. I just wanted to go home. I ran away a lot those first few months, and it was always our Gamnos who brought me back. And if that's all he had done, I could have left it at that. I knew he had a job to do. I knew I was being a rebellious little shit. But eventually he took me aside, told me all this running away was putting me on my mom's bad side. But he understood me, or at least he said he did. He knew what it meant to feel pressure to think one parent is better than the other, to feel incomplete. He said if I wrote my family letters, he'd deliver them without telling mom. He didn't do that, did he? I should have known it was a scam, but what other choice did I have? I figured the worst he could do was throw my letters away unsent. I figured wrong. I found that out when I slipped away to attend Grand's funeral a year later, and my own father wouldn't even talk to me. Turns out, the only message Argamnos ever delivered to my family was that I no longer needed them, now that I'd been restored to my rightful place at the Sea Mother's side. My grand died believing I'd thrown her away. The words still tasted like iron in my throat, like rage, like poison. Oh, Andy. Once the mask was off, he didn't even bother to hide his contempt for me and my so-called mortal weakness. We've been enemies ever since, I said with a false, brittle levity. Not like it was ever a fair fight. I mean, Sylph mother or not, he's still a god. A messenger of the Pantheon. Trusted carrier of the seals of passage. I've never been anything more than a buzzing gnat to him. Maybe that's what got me to poison him. Wait, Iris said. She withdrew her hand, and mine suddenly felt colder. Say that last part again? What, my confession? No, the seals of passage. Iris rushed into the foyer and grabbed her satchel off the floor, digging around in it until she produced her notebook. When Amelia was analyzing those pills, didn't she say that it wasn't enough to know the location of the spring of Oblim? You also had to present a seal. Argamnos was a messenger god. He was allowed everywhere. Would anyone even question him going to the spring? Or would they just assume he was on an errand? Argamnos wasn't a snitch, I said, realizing. Maybe I wasn't a murderer after all. He was the source. That explains why the drugs disappeared after he was poisoned. Their supply dried up. But that rules out the dealers then. He was their golden goose. Iris let her satchel fall to the floor. Didn't you say your friend Banrugs had already started looking into misuse of Oblin? Maybe he got a little too close. Maybe Argamnos became a liability. As happy as the idea of Argamnos being a petty criminal makes me, I said, we have to find out for sure. We could go back to his mother, Iris said, but she might not want to risk damaging her son's precious reputation. There might be another way, I said, but it's not quite legal. This feels wrong, Iris said, as we pulled into the Elder Bower parking lot the next morning. That's why you'll be doing the talking while I do the stealing, I said. 
All you have to do is keep Rogan busy while I sneak into our Gamnosis suite. If he was given a seal of passage, it might still be with his things. Right, Iris muttered, keeping an eye on the facility. Just try not to get caught. I slipped out of the car and stripped down to my skivvies. I glanced back at Iris in time to catch the furious spreading blush on her cheeks as she quickly looked away. I grinned. That's the plan. Looking up, I thought I saw a flicker out of the corner of my eye. I flattened myself against the side of the car. Nothing. Nothing but a gray sky and the whispering trees that shielded the Elder Bower from the outside world. One sunrise left. The Grimmers were still out there, and they were getting hungry. There's Rogan, Iris said, stepping out of the car as the Elder Bower's caretaker trotted out of the main facility. You better work fast. I can only sweet-talk that centaur for so long. Got it. I hid behind the car until Iris followed Rogan into the facility, and then made my way to the lake on the east side of the property that abutted the residences. According to Iris, our Gamnosis room looked out over the lake, third one from the right. I slid into the water with my bag in one hand and my underwear in the other. The scales all over my face and chest tightened and twitched, and my legs shifted and flowed together like two streams into a river. I flexed, my tail curving like a bullwhip as I shot through the water toward the residences. Each ground floor suite on the lake had a small wrought iron balcony that overlooked the water. I arrowed toward the third window from the right and hooked an arm over the lip of the balcony and waited, listening. I didn't hear anyone moving around. Didn't hear Diaphrides either, which was also a plus. I hauled myself up over the balcony and flowed back into human form. I wicked the water off me with a flip of my sea sense and pulled my underpants back on. Opening the sliding glass door, I stepped in, leaving an obvious wet trail across the carpeting. Hopefully none of the Bower's caretakers would notice. We just had to find the seal of passage and get the hells out of there. Hello. I bit back a swear and nearly slipped. If I hadn't had the grace given a demigod, I might have smashed right back through that sliding door. Argamno sat up from where he'd been lying on the couch. His hair was tousled and kinked from sleeping on it, the line of a crease pressed into one cheek. He blinked placidly at me. Um, hello. I had no idea what else to say to him, but I had to keep him quiet somehow. If he started freaking out, that would summon the caretakers and ruin the whole plan. Hello. He said it in a soft, almost shy way. He rubbed his eyes, using his whole fist like a toddler. Hi, I said. No sudden moves. He blinked at me. No trace of recognition in his eyes. No condescending sneer. No falsely innocent smile. In that instant, he was innocent. Defenseless. Vulnerable. Do you know where your seal is? I asked. His eyes widened, as if he was being tested but had forgotten the answer. He shook his head. Would it be okay if I borrowed it? Argamnos' shoulders hunched and his body curled in on itself. He shook his head again, but not in a way that suggested he was refusing my request, rather refusing the situation because he didn't understand it. Whoa, hey, I said. I approached him slowly, my wet feet sinking into the deep carpet. The Argamnos I knew was quick on his feet, wielding his wit like a rapier, 
eager to draw blood, always getting me in trouble, always showing me and my mother that I could never hope to measure up. But this wasn't that Argamnos. He was gone and, staring into the shy, scared eyes of what was left of him, I felt profoundly sad. It's okay, I said. You don't have to answer if you don't want to. My name's Andy. I held out my hand. The god held out his hand, too, his posture melting in relief. He pulled his hand back and looked at it after we shook, as if now it might be different. He continued to stare at it as I moved into his bedroom and started rifling through his drawers. Most of them just contained comfortable clothes, lightly dusted with powder. A cedar chest in the corner of the room caught my eye. It was filled with old offerings, eagle feathers bound with wire, small bottles of sacred oil and sacrificial wine, effigies carved out of wax, wood, soapstone. I picked up one of the effigies. It wasn't a bad likeness. Did whoever carved it wonder what had become of the god he worshipped? I let it fall from my hands, and it hit the bottom of the chest with a strangely hollow thunk. My breath hitched in my chest. A false bottom. I quickly emptied the chest of its contents and ran my fingers around the bottom of the chest until I found a catch that revealed the secret compartment underneath. Inside, I found a bright, iridescent peacock feather, a bag of forget-me-lots, a curved star glass bottle with an obsidian stopper, and a golden turtle shell embossed with a row of ancient runes. Well, the pills suggested he used forget-me-lots, but not that he was the source. I wasn't sure what the feather was for, but I recognized the bottle as the container Argamnos kept his lightning oil in. He always kept it slung over his shoulder in case he needed it for a burst of speed. Carefully, I reached down and brushed the turtle shell with my fingers. Even with the lightest of touches, I could feel the thrum of power beneath my fingertips. A seal of passage. The gods had entrusted Argamnos with a powerful relic. Had he really used it to steal Oblum from right under the Three Mother's nose? And if so, why hide all this under a false bottom in a chest, without even any wards? It was a strangely mortal way of hiding evidence. But then, I realized, Argamnos couldn't have hidden these. Not in the condition he was in. Diaphrides had. Sylphs had considerably less power at their disposal. Had she known then what her son was mixed up in? Was this her way of trying to protect him? Suddenly, I heard shouting from the hallway, and the door to the suite swung open hard enough to slam against the wall. Shit. I pressed myself up against the wall of the bedroom. I shoved everything from the hidden compartment into my bag. Quieting my breathing, I strained my ears to hear. A familiar figure ghosted in the room, her powdered form whispering slightly across the tiles. Diaphrides. Shit, shit, shit. She just had to visit today. Hello, Argamnos said. Hello, my love. Did you have a nice day? Learn any new words? Hello, Argamnos repeated. I suppose that answers my question. I peered out the doorway. For the three mothers' sake. I heard glassware rattle as Diaphrides set down a tray more forcefully than she needed to. Cautiously, I ducked behind the couch and started to sneak back toward the sliding glass door. You're more irritating than that Justix and her questions. So desperate to get that criminal boyfriend of hers off the hook. You can blame her for why lunch is late. I stopped, 
boyfriend, huh? I'd been called far worse things in my life. Plates clattered as she served the food. At least now that your memory's gone, I can teach you to have better sense. No more carrying on with temptresses like Elbada. There's something off about that goddess. You shouldn't have trusted her. Just like that, I almost turned back. Elbada? Argamnos and Elbada were a thing? Like, really a thing? Or was he just her secret oblum supplier? What about Andy? What did you say? I froze. Oops. Andy, Andy, Argamnos repeated. Where in the hells did you learn that name? Diaphrides demanded. All the air in the room dipped about five degrees, and that was all the warning I got. A frigid breeze grabbed my hair and pulled it by the roots. Trespasser! Murderer! I rolled away, grabbed my bag, and ran for the sliding door. Throwing it open, I dove into the lake. Tail pumping, I reached the shore of the other side in seconds, shifted, and ran for the car. Behind me, I heard Diaphrides' high-pitched shrieks like a kettle boiling over. Mother bless her, Iris already had the car running in the parking lot. She opened the passenger door when she saw me. I slid in. Move, 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 move! Iris threw the car into gear. Gravel kicked up under the tires as we gunned for the gate. I'm sorry I couldn't warn you about Diaphrides. There was no time, Iris said. I did my best, I replied. As we cleared the gate, Iris's car coughed, and sparkling powder started to sift out of the vents. Oh, shh. The sand coalesced into an outraged sylph. Murderer! Her powder-lined hand came out of nowhere, slamming my head against the seat. Andy! Iris said. Keep driving. Yeah, about that. I shut my mouth, and the sylph went for my throat instead. Through her transparent body, I saw a dark shape barrel out of the woods seconds before it slammed into the car. We flew into a spin, and the grip lessened on my throat, as Diaphrides was tossed against the windshield. Another bolt from the opposite side of the path struck the other side of the car, sending us careening in the other direction. What now? I cried in frustration. How many people can possibly have it in for me? A third shape flew out of the bushes and landed on the roof of the car, denting the roof with its talons. With a terrifying shriek, it clawed at the metal as the other two shapes hemmed us in, their merciless eyes red and hungry. Grimmers. Iris pulled on the now useless gear shift. In the back, Diaphrides groaned. The Grimmers screamed and battered at the vehicle. Andy, do you have a plan for this? Iris asked, because I don't have a plan for this. No plan, but I have an idea, I said. But it's real stupid. I'll take stupid over dead. Do it! I reached into my bag and grabbed the seal. Hold on to me. As Iris latched onto my shoulder, I pushed down on the relic, and the world went suddenly, electrically, white. You're listening to Gods and Lies Season 2 by Elizabeth Fail, starring Carrie Height and Sarah Mallow Christensen. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. Do you like procedural dramas? I mean, who doesn't? There's a reason they're so popular. Every episode contains a different story, so you don't have to worry about what you missed last week. 
And what about that black mirror sci-fi thing that makes every tech advancement seem just a tad ominous? If I've got your attention now, I know you're going to love this podcast from Realm, Ninth Step Murders. Ninth Step Murders is a cyberpunk procedural set in a near-future Tokyo, where a Japanese investigator and U.S. peacekeeper reluctantly joined forces to solve a series of bizarre murders. These new partners must quickly learn to trust each other as they race against the clock to investigate each case, all while dealing with frequent blackouts, local gangs, and underground resistance forces. All episodes of Ninth Step Murders Seasons 1 and 2 are available now, wherever you get your podcasts, and you can learn more at realm.fm. Gods and Lies is created and written by Elizabeth Vale. It is produced by Marco Palmieri and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith.